Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Ops Confessions. Happy Thursday. Uh, it's good to see everyone here today. I can see the participants and the number is growing. Um, I'm a new face, so let me introduce myself. Uh, I'm Sophia, a customer success manager here at Matudu. Been here for almost two years now and uh, have a chance to work with most amazing fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. And why I'm running this specific session today is uh, because I'm actually working with both of our guests and my customers and i knew that they had a history but i never actually had a conversation with both of them so i'm very excited uh so we have another awesome session today and um, this is going to be a power duo this is actually the first time we are doing a power duo with guests from two different companies so you get to hear not from one but two amazing leaders in the space and uh can compare their you know, thoughts and experiences. So we have today uh, Ben Levinsky, uh, Director of Sales Operations at CultureAmp, and uh, Jesus, um, uh, VP of uh, Growth at Algolia. I'm super excited uh, to chat with both of them, and we'll do proper introductions in just a minute. Um, so very quickly first, I'd like to go through a couple of housekeeping items. So if you're new today, uh, we'd really love you to leverage the chat. Uh, please keep it active uh, and engaging. Um, post your reactions, emojis. If uh, Thank you very much. Awesome. I like that. Um, so if you agree with something or if you're shocked by hearing something, and actually that's a great opportunity for you to ask questions, get feedback. Um, Either it's on the approach on how to build such a you know power do relationship, or if you want to ask about something a bit more technical, industry related. So feel free to post them in the chat, and we'll pick it up either during the conversation or afterwards in the Q and A session. And if you have not heard, uh, we like to provide a little incentive. So thank you very much for being here today. And we'll be following up with you uh, with a gift card for your lunch or dinner, depending on where you are. By the way, post in the chat your location. We'd love to, to know uh, where you're at. Hello, hello. Uh, thanks for keeping the chat going. Cool. So uh, with that said, Excited to have you, Ben and Jesus. How it's going? Hello, hi. Excited to be here. And Ben, yes. Jesus. Same, Sophia. It's, it's fun being in the same room with Ben um, outside of the real world. And I'm super excited to be here with Confessions, Marketing Ops Confessions. Love it, love it. Welcome, guys. So um, this is such an awesome power duo, you you two. <laughs> and I'm really to dive into, like, I'm really excited to dive into the discussion, learn more about your dynamic, um, excited to discuss uh, the projects that are going for you guys, um, hear your take on, you know, latest marketing trends, and let's see where it takes us. Uh, but first, let's, uh, let's set the stage. And I would really love to hear from you, you know, like, what's your background? How did you start? Where did you guys meet? So uh, tell us a little bit uh, about your journey. You go, Ben. You go first, Jesus. Yeah, I'll go. I've um, been many, many years in the SaaS um, space, uh, B2B technology. And um, the last six years, I've been um, working with uh, Unity, a game engine. Uh, we did a great ride there from Series um, B all the way to IPO. 
And um, recently, last year, I've been with Argolia. Um, it's an API for developers, search and discovery, um, series C, D, and um, we're going to take it uh, to exit. So that's really exciting. And um, um, I've worked previously with Ben uh, in a previous company called Falcon.io, and, um, and we did crazy stuff in there, trying to grow the company from 4 million ARR all the way to 20 plus. So that was a good journey, and uh, Ben can add more color into that. Ben, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm Ben. I'm uh, I'm from Australia originally. I'm actually grew up in Melbourne, Australia, where CultureAmp is, is founded and headquartered. So very intentional uh, with my career move there at this very moment, um, but been in SaaS for a long, long time. I think my first foray into SaaS was really at, at Falcon in, in Copenhagen, all the way in Europe and Denmark. Uh, where Jesus and I spent a lot of time together, um, did all sorts of operations and business intelligence and and then moved on, moved up to Sweden in Stockholm and worked for Spotify Business. Uh, everybody knows Spotify, but there's also brands like Starbucks who, who need to play music in, in their environments as well. And then uh, made the move to San Francisco with CultureAmp uh, and really excited working for them and, and leading sales operations for them right now. But did start in marketing operations. So I know that the title of today's event is marketing ops confession. so I definitely, I, I have that experience on the marketing ops side, but definitely speaking from the sales ops side at this very moment. Awesome team. Thank you very much for sharing this. And um, that was a very professional introduction. You left uh, some juicy details about your personal <laughs> relationship and your personal history. I will not leave out this slide. So maybe uh, you can tell us a little bit more. Uh, like, yeah, what is this? What are we looking at? This was uh, this only happened once, maybe twice, I think. But uh, I'm a horrible keyboardist or piano player. Jesus is an excellent guitar player. And then Nico is in the background, who is is one of the most amazing technical data engineers, analytical engineer, you name it. Uh, had a massive impact on my career as well and yeah we we, we found a, a space in Copenhagen and and played some music one time and we had uh Raph who also sang and was was on the team as well so that's we, all the way back in Copenhagen can't remember our wanted, name we wanted to make a band Sophia that the idea was like hey there's some falconeers that play music why don't we make a band the falcons or something um and uh, and I think the the um ARR took priority and um and I think we made up we met like a few times and then we had to drop it and say hey well let's focus on the real thing so but that was fun um, and I'm glad you brought it up that was a beautiful personal story in there exactly yeah and it's never too late I'd love to see your plane life one day. <laughs> cool. Well, I'll stop sharing and, um, oops, uh, yes. And so, um, as, as, uh, Ben just mentioned, uh, with him transitioning from marketing ops, you know, to, to sales ops and, uh, he's just been in the, you know, like in a growth, uh, role i wanted to like uh, hear hear your take on how this you know dynamic is going between you two uh what are the key you know builders in this relationship or maybe you know like blind spots to look out for yeah i mean uh i can i can talk briefly about something that's going on at culture right now which is uh sales ops is so important for for marketing ops in terms of getting value out of what marketing produces. Like we're, we're having conversations internally right now about time to response and the incremental opportunities that we can generate for our business just by doing micro improvements. So there's just so much 
additional value that can be extracted from as a marketing ops professional by having a good partner on the sales upside and at the same time has that empathy for the amount of money that can be spent on leads these days. I know we're, we're giving out 25 bucks to, to people to have lunch today and that all adds up. So I think just having that, that partner on the sales upside who really values and understands that these leads that we work so hard to get uh, are really valuable and actually try to extract as much, as much value as possible out of them. I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, uh, operations in general, whether it's marketing ops or sales ops, they're the, um, the oil of any good revenue or go to market engine. So in great companies that you see uh, when these two teams work well together, and in fact, there's a lot of trends lately where they call it revenue ops and it's a combination of both um, business operations. I mean, you have multiple variations of these, um, not necessarily it has to be marketing and sales. These days, a lot of companies combine them, but when that engine is working, I mean, this is smooth, you know, like leads comes in and reach properly and then they route it correctly and the, the, the good filters, good scoring, good um, ABM scoring, good, um, all the sort of beauty stuff. Um, when it works well, uh, normally is, it doesn't create many trouble. So it's little noise in the companies that work well, like it's almost on the background, but you don't realize how much impact it comes in the company that doesn't work well, normally they get, they get a lot of heat. So it's like, well, this doesn't work. This is broken. How we do here? So uh, then you realize how important is the the actual value that they add to the go-to-market teams when it doesn't work and you have pains. They become really, really noisy, really, really fast. And I believe the audience might be in this space was like, oh my god, this is the story of my life. Fires everywhere. So um, Ben and I had the luxury to actually Falcon had a pretty strong operations team. We had a great leader on that front. Uh, I mean, most of the fronts were pretty smooth. So that dropped a lot of the sales team to be, perform probably greater than than some of the companies that I've been with, right? So. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think at that time, I, I like to say that there was a lot of bleeding to the bone through operational efficiency in that time to, to get to the goals that we needed to do. And then some other places, it, it can be a little bit more magical and, and just work out with without the operations expertise and when you get an amazing product i i think like called tramp or algolia combined with good operations and that's where it gets really really special um and it's and it's at the size that algolia is at and that cult tramps at i think that 500 person 100 million ar mark where these small improvements on the operation side are actually worth hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars um and you can really draw up business cases on on why particular initiatives are, are worth going after from an operations perspective. Couldn't agree more. And uh, it's almost like we can see the parallel, like a good band versus a band band. You get to have like good musicians that play well together and good instruments. In our case, uh, in our space, it would be the tools and the data. Right. And uh, in the chat, uh, please uh, for, like share your experiences, how it is in your uh organizations and what pains are you experiencing or is it going all smooth and sound uh we'd love to we'd love to see that um so um uh, let's maybe deep dive a, a bit more about in, into your projects and i'd love to hear uh like like me i know both of you you have a very innovative ideas so what were the craziest ideas you uh suggested to each other uh to do and uh, did you actually follow up with them 
Let's talk about um, Falcon days, maybe, Ben. You, you have a couple of good examples there to start with. Yeah, I think, um, well, I mean, it's, it's not really that crazy, but it's just a weird thing that we did that worked out really, really well. And we, how many did we have? We had 25 students at one point doing sales, manual sales research. Like people always get Mechanical Turk or Upwork, but we actually had a, an in-house student team. It was this magical thing in Denmark where it really worked with some, some study subsidies where we got pretty good resources for it at a pretty amazing price. And it was just this student team who did all of the top of the funnel exercises for the sales team, whether it be researching accounts, adding contacts, tracking champions, all these little things that companies have sprung up out of. Like I know there's user gems who do the champion tracking now, but we actually had this 25 person team and it's, it's really useful because it, it's again, that segmentation of duties. There's the SDR, there's the AE. That's a pretty classic model, but add in another pillar of that, which is what is it? Sales support, sales research. Then you can prioritize an SDR's time on, on the actual sales activities. So that was a bit of a strange, crazy idea to honestly have 25 students sitting in a building in Copenhagen doing a lot of this research. And the most positive upside of it in the end turned out to be the talent pipeline. I think some of the you know, I, I actually saw this morning somebody who was in that student team, I think eight years ago, is is now a VP at the product. Um, so it was just an amazing talent pipeline for the business as well. And that was a positive upside we we didn't see. I agree. And I'm, I'm building on that. This is a classic problem that a lot of us have faced, which is leads comes in and there's a lot of rubbish data. And you either have two options, either you go and... Uh, all days, people will have mechanical turks, so some humans enriching that and putting the values that you're missing, which is the font, the address, the geo, the title, bringing more people in. I have one, what are the decision makers? I'm going to bring them in and put them for the sales team. Uh, or you go the path these days that most of us have taken, which is I use marketing tools or um, enrichment tools like the clear bit of the world, the uh, funnel beans, zoom info, lead IQ, you name them. And then you cascade them and you're trying to enrich as much as you can. And you might end up being in a pretty similar place, right? Where 70% of your data is pretty accurate or whatnot. And then you disregard the rest. Um, one of the things to build on to what Benny said, it was really fascinating how the, there was two things that uh, stood out in the approach that we did at Falcon. One is that the, the, that enrichment mechanical Turk through the students, um, it was almost like the admin side of the SDR. So a lot of SDRs today, when the data gets enriched, they do a little bit on top, just to make sure that the records are okay, they might research another extra person. That team was doing that for them. So it was like the first step, I, I really took out of your, maybe 20% of admin that the SDR might do. So that was really powerful. And two, they were really hungry. So they wanted to become SDRs or do something in the business. So they were trying to prove the value. And to building on Ben's point, there was a lot of new things that came out of that team thinking out loud, meaning, hey, I've been enriching this manually for whatever. What if we do X, Y, Z to automate these? Or how about we change the process to be? So something that is potentially for the audience might seem really, really old school. Um, that was a not long time ago. And it was like six years ago or something. And it worked like a charm. Um, ben and I have laughed about that lately. We said like, oh my God, why we didn't enrich half of that? We were paying humans to do it. But um, look at it from the distance now, it did have an upside, like Ben is saying, it, even beyond yeah. the talent. I think it really helped the SDRs to have clean, really immaculate data. And, and there's no like 
there's no tool that's going to be perfect. Like you're mm -hmm. only going to get, I've tested every enrichment tool under the sun and I'm sure Mad Kudu has, cause it's very important to their products. Um, you've always going to have blind spots and gaps. Um, and I think like at culture amp right now, one thing that we just don't want to trust the data for is, you know, corporate hierarchy. We bring in hundreds of customers a month and to actually map out that corporate hierarchy correctly. Uh, you don't want to trust the Dun & Bradstreet's or the Cleavitts of the world, because if we did, there'd be, you know, four different culture amps in the, in the Salesforce instance, one for America, one for Australia, one for Europe. And, and that's not right. You just want to sell the culture amp. So there's always a place for this sort of human um, research. And, and when I go about solving it, I think about really my lesson from that time is, is talent pipeline and, and hiring some amazing people who can be the next best ops manager or SDR or, or you name it. So it was a, that was a pretty crazy one. And then I think we can, I think the, the, the one that we had the most success with was the, was the scraping of the Facebook API, which was very, there, I mean, this, the, the, before we go into it, I think the key message around this one is like, everybody can go buy intent data. Everybody can go buy things now and, and hack their way to, to growth. But the ones that really are going to work are the ones that are unique to your business and just work for you. So you've really got to, you can read the blogs, you can listen to this talk, but really you've got to think about your specific business. And this one just was, was amazing for us. Hazers. Do you want to explain it? I can explain yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I believe um, a lot of the audience, um, by the way, audience, just jump in and tell us like how you guys are enriching data today and how you guys clean the data for the SDRs while we talk. But one of the things that we wanted to do was um, how do, so Falcon Social is a social media management tool. So we're trying to find um, customers that um, were in need for a social media management tool. And we, we knew that, hey, that you have the team, so you're hiring people, you have the team that is managing you posting regularly um and then if you're posting are you posting it manually through the native tool or are you posting it automatically publishing through a, another tool so one of the things that we realized back in the day we you could scrape uh, facebook i don't know if that's possible anymore but we said like hey we can scrape the post of the company right so we have a domain we find this facebook place we scrape their post and we realize if they have uh, a tool doing it or they do it manually and if it's the tool we can see what the tool is um, and we can actually see if you go back when they, they started publishing with the tool. So we can potentially know, A, are they using the tool? Two, what tool is it? Is that a competitor? Is someone that we can win? Is someone that we're better at? And three, we, we know when they started so we can look at the renewal. So we know where the annual contract might be coming to an end and we can go after them, right? Um, ben, you, you know by heart what happened with that. So why don't you share with the audience some of the cool stuff? No, I mean, it was, I mean, instrumenting, it was really, really hard. And I think we'll get into later, like, how do you instrument all that data behind the scenes is like row by row, one post, the date they posted, the tool they used. And that's like, that's, that's interesting, but how do you actually instrument it? And then it goes back to what you said, um, where it was really cool when we think about bands. So like budget, we know they were using this tool. So they have budget, fantastic authority. We didn't really have covered with this process need they definitely had the need because they were already using it and posting with it and then timing if you actually take all those rows of posts and you line it all up and you can say hey eight months ago they were actually using this other tool most of the time or they weren't using a tool at all but since then for the next eight months oh they were they were using these this tool consecutively and we started to be able to infer annual contracts so we more or less knocked out three out of four of the the bant criteria and then all it took was just a little nudge to be able to go and find the right person with the authority um so it was really unique to us, it worked really well. But I think the key thing I want to say is like, 
you can shortcut your way there with buying intent data or doing something like that. But the biggest way is, is think about your business and what's unique to your business. You know, I know friends of, of Mad Kudu is Chili Piper. There's, you know, scraping websites to find people using HubSpot forms and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Algolia has some other things. Coltramp, like something that I think about that is a really good buying signal or trigger, but probably not as strong as like Glassdoor reviews. We, you know, we have our employee engagement company, employee experience platform. Um, really that call to action to, to need something like Coltramp is for sure, you know, bad reviews on Glassdoor. Um, and then other things that are important, like funding for us, like for Coltramp, we know that when a company gets funding and their VC wants to see their, their engagement score, they're, they're going to ask them to buy a tool like us. So funding is a huge um, signal for us. But, yeah, I mean, build, yeah, building, on, building on your, your point, um, Ben, I think uh, that this crazy idea that we did six years ago, today is way easier to access that data. So there, there's vendors out there that will do, if they don't have the data that probably they do, they could get it together for you, public data. So it's not like someone hacking into a website. So Funnel Beam, we work both with them and um, they do incredible stuff. At Argolia, for example, we, to find our ideal customer profile, so similar to, to that, we, um, we wanted to understand um, the traffic on, on a specific domains, and the number of records that they had in, in, a, in a website, whether it's products or uh, content records. We wanted to know if they had a search bar. Do you have a search bar? If not, how many hits do you get? We wanted to know if they had a specific titles in the company. So we came with like, uh, normally companies have this firmographic idea of the ideal customer profile. And normally it stops in the, I know the industry, the size, the revenue, maybe hiring, maybe a little bit of more. When you go deeper into your true ideal customer profile and then you become to that level of degree, like we were saying, you become really good at it. You will you will notice that your conversion rates will literally increase dramatically. Um, and if you get into the level that Ben was saying, which is now I know that the profile is good, but if I know something about their binding 10 or their timing to renew, that's just gold. So, I encourage everyone to explore that if you haven't done it. And there's tools out there and you can ask questions here, we can help you, but there's tools out there that they do that for you. Pretty easy today these days. You don't need a hacker to do it these days. The search bar is so clever. I didn't think, I mean, of course, for Algolia, right? And that is something that you definitely can't really buy from somewhere. So you've got to go figure it out on your own. And yeah, that, yeah, love I mean, that. our culture, um, you mentioned the glass um, door reviews, like, um, you know, the number of reviews, the score on those, like that's a great companies to have that and funding and they're growing rapidly. That, that's a great, um, right? ICP signal. Yeah, absolutely. Just hard to get. <laughs> yeah, right. If anybody's from Glassdoor, let me know. <laughs> love it, love it. This is a super interesting, you know, story and the use case. And I fully, fully agree that um, despite of that, you know, data that is available to us, but still it, it re- like every business requires these personal touches and very unique approaches. And uh, there is like still a lot of room for uh, creative uh, workflows and creative uh, approach to like, how do you do sales and uh, research? Uh, so actually, like, that's a great segue. We are talking about data. And yes, uh, we, you, as mentioned, as Ben, you mentioned, like, yeah, you can buy a lot of intent data and there is a lot of, you know, product data now available, marketing data. So um, maybe we can talk a little bit more um, about, like, actioning this data and uh, how, how, like, uh, 
how challenges how challenging is that and what would be the top problems uh, you faced in the past yeah i mean i think like it's it's jesus can talk better about this than me but i, I think that the classic tool stack that SaaS companies use be it you know a, a map and that marketing automation platform or salesforce is they're not built to handle to, to handle product data um and so instrumenting it has been a challenge for a, a long 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 time and i think we've only in the last two years just hit this point where there's some some interesting new technology out there to help manage it but at the same time it's there's also the the professionals the marketing ops professionals the sales ops professionals who have to catch up with being able to use this sheer amount of data that they're perhaps not not used to um Jesus? i would say um that's right i think um action in the data is Probably these days, accessing accessing the data is easier. So you can compile all the data from, uh, you know, your firmographics and demographics. You can capture intent data these days. You can capture like custom data that we were thinking about. You can capture product data, behavioral data from all your marketing systems and whatnot. But then how do you then combine that data and start actioning it in, in a way that it makes impact? And I, when I think about the impact, I think about three areas. Like you can use the data to prospect or acquire new customers. You can use the data to close and, and the ones that they're already in the funnel, like help them move forward, right? And then you can use the data to expansion and retention. So make sure that your teams can leverage that data to either renew them better, um, either like grow them, um, all that sort of stuff, right? Whether it's self-serve, whether it is through a, a human, it doesn't matter, you, you will use the data equally. Um, and I think the main challenges are, uh, the main challenge that I face in the last few years, and this is not coming back to 10 years ago, but I'm going to call it the, the last three or four, is two things. One, aggregating the data in a way that is all at an account and a user level. So if I want to combine almost like add layers of data, I want to know that this is the right company, and then this company did this behavior, and this is the user that should go after. I think that's problematic, because I don't think there's many tools there that do it for you. Just the segments, just the census that you can put data from one side to the other, but you need to architect that somewhere. So you need to have somewhere where you can aggregate that data, whether it's your data warehouse, your Redshift or AWS or whatever you want to put it. Um, so I think that's probably number one. Uh, and you need to have, I think marketeers these days, I think it's a must have a data architect and engineer in your team all dedicated to you. So this is from Falcon days, I learned a lesson. So both at Union and Argolia, I have a person that we work pretty closely with, a data architect, a data engineer, uh, and then some sort of like someone that can glue the data from one system to the other. Um, so that's problem number one. I think problem number two is um, once that I have it put it there, how do I action it? So how do we create the triggers to say, well, if ABC is happening, this might be a good prospect. So I'm going to do, um, for example, I'm going to put that data into my Facebook ads or my Google ads or my whatever, or I'm going to inject that first party data into my drift. So when someone shows up and I have a clear bit reveal IP and I have blah, I'm going to do something with them, right? Or how do you inject that data into once I have them in, I want to move them in. So nurture tracks on Marketo, how do I put that data into my marketing automation tool? That's another one. So I think that implementation of the data is still not solved. I don't know many companies have solved properly. It's still giving me a lot of headaches, even these days. So pushing that data from the data warehouse into your channels and doing it in a way that is frictionless, I, I, we haven't nailed that one. 
Um, I don't know you, Ben, but I'm still figuring it out with sensors directly into Marketo and Drift. I'm finding ways to glue the data that doesn't take me two weeks to get one data point from one side to the other. Uh, and yeah. it's real time. Uh, you you might know this, Ben, because you, you you've driven the execution and implementation of these things, right? It's, it's, a, it's easier, but it's still a massive, massive challenge. I mean, on the collection side, I would imagine there's a lot of people on this call who actually don't have good product data and are having problems. Like I know this is kind of laughable, but back at in the Falcon days, we had horrible product data. Mm -hmm. And we were so desperate to, to figure out our health score for our customers that we ended up having to use silly things like the intercom data. Okay, if they're chatting to us, they're at least logging in. Like we knew they were logging in and that's how we could like architect our health score because we actually couldn't work with the product team in an, eff an effective way to get the, the product data to manage the health score. But now I think people are, are wising up and maturing and yeah, there's the amplitudes, the segments, um, there's all these ways of tracking it. But at the same time, they're not perfect. I think like on a technical side, there's also the server side data. You know, they're just event trackers and there's other bits of information that you want to bring together. So still collecting is, is hard. And then finally, I think that the main point here for the marketing people on this call is the instrumentation of it. And it comes back, it's a spectrum in my mind. It's, it's like trust, how much trust can you place in the marketers to, to slice and dice and build the audience on their own so that the right people get the right message and what are the stakes? So I had a conversation with, um, I'm not gonna, I won't be able to say their name, but they have millions and millions and millions of users. And there's two, they were sort of thinking about two parts. I can put all of my event data into, into Intercom or into customer.io and, and let my marketers do the communication on their own, or I can do all of that inside of my warehouse, build the audiences there, have it be source reviewed in GitHub and have it be in a structured environment like DBT or whatnot, and then actually push over the audiences there. And so the control, it'll take two weeks, Jesus, but you're not gonna blast an email out to, to 2 million people that you shouldn't do. And so you've got to figure out what's right for you in terms of that level of control. Um, and it can be a combination um, it's just finding that happy medium. And thankfully the, the tool stacks are, are coming there. Magkudu helps with, with getting product data into Salesforce. I, I definitely have been looking for a tool like census for a long, long time and really, you know, happy with them, like that I found them. So still and Boris, thank you. But, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a challenge, but it's coming along. I mean, there's also other, you work with Endgame, right, Jesus? That's right. Who... That's right. We, we're working with um, other tools that facilitate that data. I mean, a bit of context. Um, and just to close on your point, I think Ben is having a really good point, which is in my career has helped me because growth is really close to product. So we always had like a buy-in that I will get product telemetry and product data and I will make good use of it because we had our plan. So our goal, for example, we look at a lot of product telemetry which by the way, for the people that know, don't know, is just product behavioral data. There's um, aggregated at a user level or account level um, or at an application level, three of them. So we do a lot of data, for example, uh, signups that haven't completed their signups. So started the signup process and didn't complete it or a signup that completed the signup but didn't get into the aha moment. So what we call the first search operations or use some data sample or uh, users that have done that, but they haven't completed the first application. So we take that data and based on the user, we automate um, through sensors, um, data back into Marketo behavioral to trigger emails to you, uh, to follow up you with Drift. So you land in the page and we can put a special message for you in Drift to come back. 
Uh, obviously, in the product, uh, we're exploring things with Mutiny and personalizing the website based on that stage that you're in. So all that sort of stuff, we got the trust because we had a plan. We, we knew that the three problems we wanted to solve was these drop-offs. We went to the product, we engineered the data on the back end, then we use sensors, we push it into the marketing channels. Um, but it, it is right, it has to have some sort of strategic thinking behind. So what data do I need? And what, what problem I'm trying to solve with the data? So then I can action it. Um, if you don't have that, it's, it's a bit risky to give access to the whole data to the whole company. That's, that's a bit risky, I agree with that. But. But you got the trust because you have the personnel, right? It goes back to, you said you, you've got to have a, an engineer in your team these days. And, you know, you wouldn't have that trust from the product side if you, you didn't have that personnel and staff. I think it goes back to, to that. Can you hear me? My audio, it says my audio disconnected, but no, we're yeah. good. Yeah. And it's a great point on the trust because uh, when we connected with you earlier, uh, you've mentioned that there is very different dynamic at Algole versus CultureRamp. And Ben, maybe you can uh, share a bit more like how it's done at CultureRamp. Is there a trust there? Because obviously with such bulk communication and uh, so much data entrusted from product to marketing, uh, there comes like a higher stake. Yeah, and I, I mean, it depends on the nature of your, your product data as well, right? With CultureRamp, there's just there's huge, huge guardrails in place to make sure that, you know, probably some CultureRamp users on the call, you answer a survey, there's, there's no way that I will ever be able to see something like that. And there's massive guardrails in place to make sure that that doesn't end up in the marketing tool stack or somewhere where it shouldn't be. So we have so many, uh, so many people helping along the way to make sure that that doesn't go into the marketing tool. And then we have that level of trust, but we've still got tons of improvement to do. I think it's it's tiny, tiny little steps, but certainly have that trust. And that trust begins with having the, the expertise on the team. So you can have even playing field conversations with, with the analytics team and the product side or the engineers on the product side. And that we, we actually have the staff and the personnel on our operation side to, to be able to build that trust. And they know that we're gonna be able to use the data effectively and, and not make mistakes. Um, because when, when emails go out to millions of people that shouldn't, that's when, when you lose that trust. Mm -mm, fully agreed. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. And, uh, you know, uh, speaking of this increased uh, role of, you know, PLG motion and uh, product data, so maybe you can tell me a bit more how do you specifically use it and at each of your companies, uh, what, what role it plays and maybe what types of campaigns are you running? So for CultureRamp, it's not as interesting. We, we don't really have a fully self-service motion yet. I think our goalie is a lot further along. I think we're pretty standard in terms of the software companies, in terms of collecting product data, having a health score, having you know new admins get triggered, certain communication, they get the welcome flows. It's, it's nothing too extraordinary from a, from a PLG perspective. It's, it's pretty standard ones. Um, the one area where I want to, and it goes back to, company I mentioned before, user gems and mechanical Turk, which is you have the product data and you know, they've used your product and they've got a high NPS and, and they get deleted. You, we need one thing that we're really working on right now is ensuring that we chase them down at their, that their new companies. But Jesus can definitely talk more to the PLG motions because I know that our goalie is a little bit further ahead. Yeah. That term PLG is on fire lately. And, um, we, we do, we do have a self-serve motion. Um, which is where, where my team is mostly spending the time. 
Um, and we are, I mean, it's early days, but we've been exploring a lot um, the reactivation part of the campaigns that I mentioned before. Um, so trying to literally have a behavioral omni-channel trigger based on where you are in the journey. So all the way from sign up in, com in completion I mentioned before. Uh, and most of the things that we're doing is email, we're doing Drift, we're exploring out the web personalization because Mutiny is a tool that's um, allowing us to do that. Um, and obviously using um, Clearbit with that. The other thing we're doing is um, with Makudu, we're trying to do a uh, um, self-serve model. So we're trying to figure out what are the um, domains that actually have a high propensity to close online. Uh, we did have something internally before, which is uh, we had a um, deal size propensity. So based on historical data, we, we could match to our existing customers and say roughly what was the land um, deal size. Um, but we're trying to do that with Makudu more um, in a smart way. So then we can do a better path for the sales there. So things like um, if you might be a, a, a high likelihood to um, convert by the sales serve, we might um, give you different call to actions on Drift because of the first party data coming from Atkudo. We might give you different path call to actions on the emails that we go to operator. We might give you different onboarding, right? Like different call to actions onboarding. So we're trying to mirror that on the web Drift plus the emails and the product experience. Um, and we inject, we're gonna inject that data into the product experience. One of the things that we've been trying to sort out because um, uh, Argolia is a developer tool, we get a lot of Gmails. I think 60% of our emails are Gmails or more. Um, so we've been trying to enrich data through um, tools like Gmail to corporate domain matching, um, like Panel Bean does that well for a portion of them, I think 10, 20%. And then the reverse IP. So we, we're trying to uh, understand, hey, well, if you're coming from a corporate domain, you probably are the classic developer experience is I come to the tool to investigate prototype. And then if I like it, I might, I might adopt it in one of my official jobs, right? Um, so that's a classic end user experience. Um, a lot of PLG companies suffer these. So we're trying to bring a better experience to those users. So we're not trying to be big brothers and say, hey, I think you work on this company. It's more like now that we know that you might be in a big corporation, what if we give you a different path? So we give you a call to action to maybe talk about how you work with the bigger use cases. Maybe we know that you're in a specific industry. We give you the chance to, do you want to pick this path in the onboarding of the emails to do X, Y, Z? So we're trying to get that um, product telemetry, as I mentioned before, on top of like some of the enrichment on first-party data, like Matkudo on the product, to just deliver better experiences. Um, so that's pretty much what we're trying to do. And we are in an early stage. We have some good stuff set up, but we're exploring a lot of new things. I need Love to talk it. to you about the personal mm -hmm. Gmail mapping. I've never, never really got that working. And it's like, it's you have the problem with the developers. And I think for anybody, like everybody is trying to do community plays right now. And it's, mm -hmm. it's the same thing with communities. You get a lot of people signing up with their, with their personal emails. And when the question comes, what is the, the business value that this community is providing? It's, it's very hard to do. Um, so we, we have a similar problem, but we, we definitely know how powerful community can be as a tactic for us as a business. Exactly. You don't want to stop them. One of the, one of my key rules is like, don't stop them. I, I really hate things like you can only sign with your corporate domain or only in mean, the gated content. That's like such an old school. I, I really don't like any of that. Um, so the, the, the idea is like open the gate and then trying to figure out they might be and then give them the path for them to self-identify and say, actually, yes. I'm telling you by my behavior. So product behavior could be like 
I have a lot of users working on a project or my project might be of a nature of a commercial project, or I might have identified by reverse IP that you might be multiple users with a reverse IP coming from a corporation. So um, then what you do is I give them a path to self-identify. I, I think that's the thing. And by the way, Ben, I don't think you can fix it. You can probably min mitigate like 20, 30% of it. That's yeah. the best I've done historically. But 20, 30% could be a massive impact on the business, right? Totally. Yeah, and I totally hear the pain around, you know, opening uh, the gated, uh, you know, content or uh, tracking, you know, leads through the self-serve motion, but then trying to identify who they are. And uh, I hear that, uh, you know, pain point uh, across all other companies uh, trying to enrich those Gmail accounts. And uh, what, like, what, what's your take on, you know, uh, enrichment of, or like anony of anonymous visitors? Uh, did you see any success with uh, certain providers? Maybe you can share. You want me to go? I, I, yeah, you go, I'm curious who, who you have favorites with, but there, um, there's always problems. Yeah, there's always problems, that's right. But um, at Unity, we did it for many years and we did see a 20-30% um, uptake. So we, and Unity was in the millions. So we, we did have like 10 million downloads or 10 million users and around 1.5 million active when I left. And um, and we, we I think we identified like around 60,000 companies that were under Gmail and whatnot that we, reverse ip or um match through uh, we use two ones clearbit so clearbit is good at, um the reverse ip is pretty decent if if a company is in clearbit and um it comes as a reverse ip normally it's pretty accurate and the second one that we did is uh, they're matching on gmails and then we use funnel Bing as an additional layer so between those three reverse ip clearbit matching and funnel Bing, gmail to corporate matching i think we catch anything between 15 to 20 percent of those emails um so so imagine when, when it's in the million that's a lot of people that you're catching right um and that goes back to the small percentages that that add up there's a threshold you get to at a certain size but doing stuff like this can really make the difference i think there's like clearbit is the classic one and i know they're friends with Madkudu. um but i think by partnering with with companies you know the drifts and the mad kudos of the world they actually like they'll aggregate it all for you. So they'll they'll pay all of these different reverse IP companies little bits of money and you get the best of both worlds. You get the combined view. Um, sometimes it makes the data a little bit funky because they're different data sources, but at least you're going to have a higher percentage. But the other ones out there um, kick, kick fire, I think, but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of changes from, from other companies not partnering with them. Hopefully, hopefully nobody is on the call from there. Um, and then Sixth Sense, I mean, making big waves as well. They've got yeah. lots of things going on in terms of their reverse IP um, and currently doing a bit of a bake off between a couple of those vendors. Um, so I'll have for, for to soon. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think Sixth Sense have been doing a good job. At, at Unity, we we did use Sixth Sense um, in the last year that I was there and um, for IBM. And we did use for the ABM players the Sixth Sense reverse IP to understand what accounts were coming into the ecosystem and then follow them through the channel. So your classic Sixth Sense stages of the buying journey. Um, the, the reverse IP was great to identify awareness. So we knew that X percentage of targeted accounts were showing up in what pages. And then we can do, we can trigger marketing channels based on that. And I, and I think that's a good point. Yeah, but it doesn't work well on a PLG. Like they're so friendly with Salesforce that 
again, this is the problem. There's not the tool stack for PLG companies where how you, Sixth Sense just doesn't work well if the data is not sitting inside of Salesforce. Exactly right. So I think um, that's exactly right. At Unity, we have actually two completely different uh, tech stacks, um, one for the ABM um, sort of place, and we did have a different tech stack for their um, cell serve. So those two worlds, to some degree, are not compatible sometimes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, Ben, you mentioned also in the beginning of the uh, conversation that, uh, uh, you know, classic uh, MAPs and uh, CRMs are not really built for PLG. So maybe are there any like newest uh, tools that can support marketers for PLG motions? I mean, again, Coltramp doesn't have the problem, but I, I know Jesus is working with Endgame. So I guess a, a plug out for them. But I think like Mad Kudu certainly helps at aggregating all of that information in, in one place. And then at the same time, there's definitely going to be a need for you to, to own some of that logic yourself. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of DBT, DBT Labs now um, as a modeling tool um, to actually structure all of your product data and combine it with everything. And then Census is also useful to get that back in. There's also some really other interesting players out there, really small, but building on top of the DBT ecosystem, correlated, I know about continual AI, also really interesting, which is, um, yeah, so it's, there's a lot of things popping up, but it's, we're just at the beginning. Like there's, there's such little support out there for these, these PLG companies um, and the motions that they need. Yeah, I think, I mean, PLG is a really broad term. Um, because it goes across the entire company. But when we are doing things on um, on the self-service part of a PLG company, so carving paths for the users online, I think we mentioned that before, so the mutiny, clear be reveal, um, using with Drift and the web optimization and then optimizing the onboarding. I think that that is an important path that we do. So carving out the path, and my cool is part of that. On the sales-led motion from PLG, meaning getting product telemetry and passing it to sell so they can action on it. Um, I, I, the story is at Unity, we did a tremendous work trying to build that ourselves. So getting all the product data at a, at a, at a project level, at an account level, aggregating the users, and then what project they were building, what object they were using, what kind of company it was, and then passing that to sales. That took years to build with, again, data engineers, DevOps, uh, data scientists and at Argolia when I started um, a year ago I was like I don't want to go through a year and a half of building this thing this is painful it has to be something in the in the market and I realized that they were actually like in the dozens of tools doing this exactly this use case and after after talking to a bunch of them like um, heads up and a bunch of them Endgame um, was exactly what I built at Unity it was incredible it was like a mirror of what, what I built at Unity so what it does is like it ingests your data from segment or from your data warehouse, your product data. It aggregates the data a user on an app and an account level. It create product strengths based on what you believe your signals are for each of those stages of the user. And then it creates a really beautiful dashboard that the SDRs so or the AEs can log in to and see their accounts, what are they doing. Um, so we already have a couple of motions in place at Argolia, um, trying to move from a really simple sign up, little data. Um, we do have more data for the customers because our goal has been around for a while and we do have um, pretty comprehensive data on the usage if you're a customer, but we didn't have much from a prospecting point of view. Um, so we're solving that problem with end game really easily. And, um, and it, 
again, I saving my team like a year of building something. We did literally what we did in a year, we did it in weeks. So that's been tremendous. Love I think it. it's, mm-hmm. it's a slow catch up from, I think I've, I mean, I've spoken about this before in, in other forums, but the marketing automation tools, they just, you need to buy best of breed tools. And I think it's like lead scoring. If you're going to try that with HubSpot and you need to, you know, you need that multi-product or you need it for different sales motions, you're going to need something like a Mad Kudu. And then I think with attribution, these tools aren't made for that sort of stuff. So looking at the segments visible, although they haven't done much for, for five years now, and then, you know, lean data for lead routing, there's just, you need to look elsewhere than the, the classic marketing automation tool. And then PLG, much like all the, the lean datas, the Uber flips, they all popped up to build on top of the marketing automation space. I think that there's this whole new ecosystem of tools that'll pop up around supporting these free trial PLG, whatever you want to call it type companies. And yeah, end game, I, I'm definitely excited to, to look at them when, when the time is right. Awesome. Awesome. That time will come then, <laughs> I'm sure. So I actually was like thinking and like this whole transition towards these new tools, uh, just general, you know, transition in the industry towards modern data stack, as we call it, right? Like how do you think it impacts the uh, professionals like marketers and, uh, you know, rev ops specialists and sales ops specialists? So have you seen the, the difference? Yeah, I mean, I would depending on where you are in your your ops career but i just think knowing sql is just very very important particularly on the marketing anywhere there's lots of data marketing there's always going to be more data it's really important from an ops perspective and then sales even so um but again you if you're if you're senior enough you might not be able to need it but if you're if you're just getting started in your ops career like i would invest the time there there's if you understand how relational databases work and and how to combine information and keep it structured and aggregated in ways that <clears throat> can trigger all of this and you can speak to it very intelligently, you're going to be very powerful for, for any company. So again, shout out to to Nico who was in that photo before, but he was he was the one who pushed me to to go out and learn SQL earlier in my career. And I think it was a, a game changer in terms of my my ability to to work with various stakeholders around the company. I agree. And in fact, Nico is probably like a pretty good example of the, the new um, generation of marketing ops and, and growth marketers and, and even marketing where, you know, you have like super, some really technical uh, skills. And when it comes to marketing ops, I think um, I always had like a um, some one of these unicorns, but they might know Python and SQL, and they might know how to maybe build a little API and scrap some data. Um, if you want to be scrappy and, and, and build stuff, you need one of those in your team. You need to hire those people. Exactly. And then as when you build, maybe those functions go into different teams, and maybe you can rely on other teams. But to get started, I will I will encourage you that you do it, or you hire someone that has those skills, just to get you faster where you want on, on experimentation. Yeah. And I think like the moment that I got deeper on that side of things, like I think with, with marketing ops and sales ops, I think I've, I think we have 80, 70 tools in my SAS budget that I'm going through 2022 planning on right now. Like once you actually understand that all of these tools are just UIs on top of a relational database, like once you get that, it means the next tool you go to implement or try to extract value from, you're going to be 5X, 10X better at it. So I was able to, it just time to value on some of the tools that people were screaming out to, to want to use just got so much quicker by having that understanding. So that would be, 
that would be my my one area for sure, particularly for marketing ops. I think there's many other functions of marketing that you definitely don't need SQL for. I, I think someone was shocked by the number of tools that you have on Ben. Someone was saying, oh my God, that's one of those icons. Um, <laughs> No, that's an awesome advice, guys. And uh, yeah, for those who are watching, uh, yeah, go uh, go ahead and learn SQL. And uh, I feel like, yeah, like this transition into becoming more technical and definitely learning somewhat how to code in SQL or other languages is becoming more and more important. Uh, well, I know we are out of time and this has been such a great conversation and I appreciate you both. And uh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, if people want to find out, uh, reach out to you, uh, learn about your journey, where they can find you? LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, Ben Lewinsky. Um, yeah, uh, you'll be able to find me. I think I'm the only one, or at least last time I checked. <laughs> yeah, same here. Super kind of, um, find me on LinkedIn, connect, um, send me a message. We're here to, to chat to everyone. And both in San Francisco, although Jesus just across the water now. So, but both in the Bay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, cool. I'll share the last, um, uh, the last, oops, um, the last slide, because I would like to remind uh, everyone that this is a weekly series and we actually haven't announced yet the speakers for the upcoming season, but there are going to be a lot of exciting speakers uh, from Lucidchart, from Build.com, uh, from uh, uh, many, many others, uh, many other uh, very, very cool companies. So please uh, tune in. And uh, all right, so like, thanks so much for uh, being here. Uh, thanks for your time. And uh, happy Thursday, everyone. Thanks Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.